Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Hi. How y'all doing? I'm not from around here. (laughs) Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for today. Thank you for the opportunity to come together in freedom. In your name, Lord. And we know that where two or more of us get together in the same room, that you're there. And I know that that really means that even though if we know you, you live inside us, when we gather together, you come in a different way. And we just focus on you this morning. Thank you for your presence in this place among us today, Father. Lord, I ask that you help me say what it is you won't said, Father, in Jesus' name. Send your presence and your spirit, heart to heart, mind to mind, soul to soul, and do the thing that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, it's a joy to be here. Like Audrey said, thank you for hosting us. Um, it is a uh, it is a real blessing. Uh, man, I'm telling you, every time I come up here, I I feel something. Here's what I hear on the brink. Every time. And um, we were here. I don't know. Some of you may have remembered. We we did this thing in Mountain Gateway where, where we went around and we prayed in all the cap- state capitals. And uh, we bounced through here. And um, um, we were praying at the, at the capitol here, and some of you were there. And uh, what I heard then, and I, I'm, I, I hear it again, is looking glass. You know, you're one of the corners of the United States. The United States is kind of a rectangle, you know. And um, you're one of the corners. And I'm a builder. I, I used to be. Still am. We're building lives now. I used to build buildings. And, um, and the foundation of a building always starts in the corner. You got to start in one of the corners in order to lay a building out. And you learn how to lay a building out, and you get it square, and then you lay the foundation, and you do all the things. And um, this is one of the cornerstones of our country up here, like physically, but also spiritually. You matter. You matter to God, and you matter to our nation. And integrity, integrity works in, a, in unique ways. Integrity is not only the things that you see in here, you know, when a, when a person is said to be integrous, really what that means is when their internal life and their external life measure up and are the same. Because it's, it's easy to sort of 
say and do. And I'm, I'm from Alabama, like Pastor Quentin said. And, you know, we're, we're not just in the Bible Belt. We're the buckle of the Bible Belt, the heart of Dixie. And we are experts at saying and smiling and presenting and boy, inside sometimes we got all kind of stuff messed up and that is kind of native to the human nature. But, but when you get your insides saying the same thing that comes out of your mouth, then you have integrity. And the resonance in the spirit and the founding of our country comes from the pillars of foundation and this is one of those. You matter. You matter for the course of our nation. Um, I know I, I haven't been here but a few hours and I've heard from different people that are native here, well, we don't have a lot of things up here and we don't have a lot of people and, and boy, you just kind of go to the Walmart store and whatever's there is what you get. You know, we're like at the end of the world or we're at the tail end. You are not at the end of the world. You are a pillar. You're a lighthouse. How many lighthouses do you have up here? And 14. Yeah. Just your county. Well, that's probably on purpose. And we got to get your insides matching your outsides. And so I want to talk to you about your insides today. Your attitude. My attitude. Our attitude, the way we think, is highly determinative for our outcomes. And so I just want to talk about that for a few minutes today, and we'll see how many of these scriptures that I get across. But if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through, let's go about 24. Be joyful always and pray continually. Give thanks in, everybody say in. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, somehow the devil's a master, he's a master twister, you know, and one of the first things that he does with this verse and twisting its intent is he substitutes in our mind the word in and he puts in there the word for. I know so often in hearing it preached and reading it even, I'm like, oh, I gotta, I gotta give thanks for everything bad that happens. But that's not what he's talking about. God is never the author of anything bad. Sometimes his definition of good and bad are different than ours, but God never authors bad in our lives. And gratitude is a big deal. Gratitude is the attitude that assassinates the footholds of offense and bitterness in our lives. Because if we are able to appropriate the grace of God and his power to put into practice giving thanks in every circumstance, then it will assassinate offense and its ability to take hold in our life. Because, you know, first offense comes, 
and then bitterness follows. And then when we carry our offenses and bitterness sometimes for years, that puts a block, that puts a wall between us and God. And that's how come he doesn't like it, because he doesn't like things that separate us. He doesn't like that. This is not positive. And so what he wants, the reason he gives us secrets like this, is if we can appropriate his power to be grateful not for the circumstance, but in the circumstance. Oh, now we're talking about power. Imagine being able to live in a way where stinking circumstances don't have to dominate our lives, especially our internal life. And the way we think about our circumstances has everything to do with so often the lasting impact of those circumstances upon us. Have you ever heard the term, a captive to circumstance? Well, we're not really a, ever a captive to our circumstances. We're only captive to our attitude about our circumstances. Now, it doesn't mean that those circumstances, because there's some really bad things that can happen, doesn't mean that they're not real doesn't mean that they're not impactful. doesn't mean that they don't affect us. doesn't mean that they don't do things that are sometimes very traumatic. All that's true. But the great thing is, is we can have the promise of God to tap into His power that those things don't have to control our lives. Have you ever gotten offended at someone for doing something? What does that offense do to the quality of your bonds with them? Yeah, it's not helpful at the very least. <laughs> Have you ever been offended at God? I mean, be honest, you know, we need to be honest because liars go to hell. That's what it says in the Bible. <laughs> Sometimes we get offended at God. We certainly get offended at each other. The scripture says when offenses come, not if. And, and so there's no doctrine, there's no, there's no Shangri-La utopian community that we can craft that will insulate us and stop the emergence of offense. It's just going to happen. There's two basic origins for offense. One is injustice. People, I mean... I know that you've all experienced offense because of injust. You were unjustly treated by circumstances or people. And you were truly innocent and something came your way that is not your fault or was not your fault. And the origin of that offense is injustice. God doesn't like injustice. He doesn't. He is for us and He's for justice. But he still, you know, the devil, when, when, it's, when it's injustice that's the origin for offense, the devil is a master at twisting offense into a virtue in those cases. Why? Because we are justified. We know what the scripture says about not doing wrong. But when it's, when it's aimed at us, when it comes at us, when, when, when we prove ourselves to be human, the devil spins it. Right before it goes in and we think we have a right to be offended. 
It's true. But what does the Lord say, our response to offense with the origin of injustice is? We have to forgive. As a matter of fact, if we want forgiveness from God, we must forgive. That's what it says right in the Lord's Prayer, right? Oh man, we sort of got no wiggle room. We can't wiggle out of that. And so the Lord says this wonderful scripture right here, give thanks in every circumstance. Well, some circumstances aren't very nice, especially when somebody's coming after us or they're doing something to us. And it's true, this loads care and stress and things on top of us. And what does he say? We need to take those cares, not ignore them, Cast them on him. Cast them right on him. Why? Because he cares about us. And we can't make the definition of his caring the prevention of these situations inside us because no one that I've ever known has been able to achieve that with God. He doesn't run interference and stop all the bad things. What he does is promise the power and transformation that we have the durability to be full of gratitude for him and his life no matter what happens. See, like it's different, but it's different. Think about this statement saying that we always win versus we cannot lose. Those are two different things. And this means we cannot lose. We cannot lose if we tap into this. And so I want to help us today. Look, let, let's try to grab a different perspective to help us change the way we think about circumstances because if we don't change the way we think about circumstances, it's really hard to figure out how to begin to let gratitude have its work in the midst of the circumstances that happen. Easy to have gratitude about something happy. Or some blessing. Very difficult to have gratitude in the midst of a serious problem. But there's no qualifiers here. It doesn't say give thanks in good circumstances. It says give thanks in what? All circumstances. Look at this. How about this? 2 Corinthians 10.4 Is that where we're going? I think so. Yeah. Actually, let's start at verse 1. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away. I beg, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. What's he talking about? A standard of the world is to only give thanks when things are good and not give thanks in every situation. Right? Like the default that we can understand, the part of it, the standard of the world. I mean, we can pick all kinds of stuff there, but I'm picking on our thinking this morning. So is he. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Do you know we're at war, right? 
We wrestle, though, not against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places, rulers in the darkness. Like, my neighbor, the person who did me wrong, is not my enemy, even though he might be exhibiting enemy behavior toward me. Jesus goes even further to say we must love our enemies. That really is the measure of a mature believer. It's not how powerfully you can preach or how many people get healed when you lay hands on them. Those are a result of the gifts of the power gifts of God, and those things work in people's lives. They work. But these things are substantively. Uh, they talk to all of us. Like, they like have this nature where we're like, we can't wiggle out from under them. We can't hide behind the volume of the produce of our life and sort of head ourselves and others off from really looking. But we know. We know our default reactions and our default attitude about the stinky things that happen. Don't we? Just think about that, and I'm not trying to put you under condemnation, but if you're feeling like there's a thumb on you, maybe it's conviction. Because there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction is meant to bring power and freedom. Condemnation is meant to bring bondage and imprison us. The weapons that we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. Everybody say divine power. power. To demolish strongholds. Okay, so this next verse is a further clarification for what he means by strongholds. We demolish, he's restating, theological law of reoccurrence. God says over and over and over what he says in order to make a point. We demolish arguments. Well, what's he talking about? Is he talking about I'm having a conflict and I'm arguing with Pastor Dusty about something? No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the constant narrative that goes on inside us, wrestling with us, trying to perpetually weigh us off of the truth. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. I'm supposed to give thanks, but. You know how that goes? I know how it goes. And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Well, some thoughts need to be taken captive. Because life, our brain is a wonderful thing. It generates thoughts. We see something and a thought happens. That's how temptation works. That's also how seeds of possibility work. They work in the same mechanism. You see something and temptation wants to get you to do bad and possibility wants to get you to have faith. But right in the middle, the fact that we can, that a thought can generate and we can see possibility, that's how that works. Temptation is just a possibility for evil and sin and wickedness. But in the middle of it, the ability for that to happen also yields very wonderful things in our lives. You see that? So, 
We have to learn to take captive those thoughts that are errant because every wrong action, every sin begins as a thought. And the Lord knows that. And so, and I don't even, I'm lost. What time am I supposed to be done? Somebody's got to say, oh, is that countdown? Look at that smart aleck thing up there on the wall. Listen, I'm a village preacher. We don't got nothing like that. <laughs> Pastor Quentin asked for my scriptures so he can put them up there. And hmm, I told him, I said, well, I got handwritten chicken scratch. I'm sure I would fail your, pastor, your sermon prep class. <laughs> so I'm trying to be coherent here. He will tell me his thoughts on my delivery this morning, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. This here is a curious thing. Uh, sorry, Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden there were, there, there were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know what? This has caused lots of problems. He put two trees in the garden. You know why he did that? Because God's all about opportunity. And so what I want to do today is open an opportunity maybe for a different way of thinking about things. The fact, who put the two trees in the garden? God did. And one of those trees, actually both of them, hanging on one of those trees was eternal life, and hanging on the other tree was death. And God put it there. Why? Well, because He is into relationship. And relationship work, love works voluntarily. And so He had to put the opportunity to choose in His perfect garden. Because if it were not there, it would not be perfect. God doesn't do anything imperfectly. There were two trees in the garden. And so the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you know what it provided? An opportunity to obey. Because really, how many of you have ever heard, God's in control? But how many of you all how many of you have also ever struggled with the fact that well if God is controlling everything then why is he doing these bad things that are happening? Why is he allowing that to have you ever you ever thought about that? Let me tell you something. God is not controlling everything. God's not into control. God's into relationship. Now he intervenes all the time. 
But God is not authoring all these errant things that are happening in the earth. But, wow, we have a hard time with that. And this is straight up because not a lot of... Not a lot of people who want to talk about this, but I'm going to talk about it right in the face. How's that? There were two trees, and that provided an opportunity to obey. And we failed, didn't we? Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 9, you can read all about that. Talks about the fall of man. Ooh! But you know what? You cannot outstrip the power of God. He is intent upon possibility and opportunity. So you know what? The fall of man created an opportunity for redemption. Is redemption good or bad? It's a good thing. It's our hope. But out of something so horrible, there can be no horrible thing happen that doesn't immediately in God create an opportunity. There's nothing that can happen that is so bad that assassinates all opportunity except the final judgment. But while we draw breath in this life, everything that happens has opportunity in it. Let's let's look at some of those. Can we look at some of those? Temptation opened the opportunity to resist. They didn't resist. So that opened the opportunity for redemption and forgiveness. That opened the opportunity for God to become a man so that He could identify with us and come down and pay the ultimate sacrifice for us. That's what made the opportunity for that to happen. You see how that works? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, that's a good thing. So out there is nothing bad that can be so bad that it overpowers God's ability to create a better opportunity in the middle of it because of it. Wow. Now if we get a copy on that right from the very beginning, we get the secret for how to give thanks in. Not for... I smash my thumb. I'm not going to go in some kind of mindless misunderstanding and misapplication of the scripture. Jesus, I just thank you that I smashed my thumb. <laughs> Look, we've all done that, right? I mean, come on, remember? Remember Revelation 21 8? Do you know what Revelation 21 8 says? Liars go to hell. No. Everything creates an opportunity. Why? Because God is living and all things work together for good of those who love Him. Isn't that what it says? That, that's just another way to say there is opportunity in everything that happens to us for Him working His good in us if we choose to access it. And the beginning of the choice of accessing that is changing the way we think about all these things. I'm not saying rejoice for 
the trauma. Rejoice for the bad thing that happens. There's a lot of bad things that happen. But in the midst of all that, the great love of God has determined that there is opportunity for extraordinary action on His part no matter what happens. You see, we can't lose. But if we don't learn to take thought, take captive our thoughts and win the argument, if we don't learn how to think right about all these things that happen to us, boy, then those circumstances do control us. We get offended. The devil spins in our hearts and our minds that it becomes a virtue. I have a right for this. I even have scriptural justification. Look what the Bible says right there. I can stand on this. We can put an ick that's fish on anything almost. We can Christianize anything and we can turn into a virtue almost any bad attitude that we want to we have. Actually, the devil almost doesn't need very much help to get us to do that because we do that naturally. Right? How about Noah? Do y'all know the story of Noah? I want you to sometime read Genesis 6, 5 through 9. I, I want to, uh, let's go there real quick. I want to read it because this was, boy, we think we live in tough times? No, let's read a, a description. All of you sitting in this church are proof that we are not in those times. Let's read about it. Verse 5 of chapter 6 of Genesis. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. And that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Now look, I know we got, we got some stinking thinking around us. And we got trouble. And, and we got politics. And we got all the issues that, we, that we're all sideways about. But I guarantee you we are a far cry from this description right here. Why? Because I've met some of you and you smile and you're kind. And you transmit and you emit the kindness and the love of God. There's a bunch of you in this room. Not only that, I know groups just like you all over the country. And so we are not near about like this right here. The thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I'll wipe mankind whom I've created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I'm grieved that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Isn't that something? So the wickedness of mankind gave Noah the opportunity to be found blameless and demonstrate blamelessness in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. Do you see that? There's no way to escape the opportunity thing. How about Joseph? You know Joseph's story? Joseph's brothers, out of jealousy, they sold him, threw him down in a pit, sold him into slavery. He, and, the, and the blessing of God inflamed all kinds of jealousy and problems everywhere he went. He ended up in prison. But you know what the scripture says about Joseph? 
Genesis 50:20 says what you meant for evil God meant for good. And that was Joseph talking to his brothers, the very brothers who sold him into slavery. But boy, there's an extraordinary story there. If you don't know it, you should go read about it, about how he, he went all the way through. And a lot of people say that Joseph was being arrogant when he told his dream to his brothers that inflamed their jealousy. But I don't see that anywhere. That's just people's thinking. All he was saying was what he saw. We have no way of knowing what his attitude was. We just know that God spoke to him and exactly what God said he was going to do with him, he did. And people, his own brothers did things to him that were unjust. And he said, even though you thought you were doing something, God in it was crafting something else. And that is the secret for us. God in it is crafting something else. He didn't author that. But boy, he's making opportunity in it. For us and for those around us. How about Moses? You know that Acts chapter 7 says that Moses, you know, when he was 40 years old, he decided to go visit his countrymen and, and uh, he saw this thing happen and he rose up to defend his countrymen. He committed murder and then he ran. He ran into the desert, and then he was in the desert for 40 years, right? Well, boy, we go across that. Look, I've been in a desert before. They're not comfortable. But you know what happened? 40 years in the desert gave Moses opportunity to encounter the living God because after 40 years it happened, God lit a bush on fire. And extraordinary things happened because Moses was at the right place at the right time for encounter. And the circumstances that set that up were not positive. Do you see that? How about this? Gideon. Do you all know the story of Gideon? It's in Judges chapter 6. You can go look at it. Judges chapter 6 is the story of Gideon. The Midianites had really enslaved the nation of Israel and Gideon was doing the best that he could and the Midianites were coming in every time there was a harvest and they were destroying their crops and inducing famine and making it hard on the Israelites and they had enslaved them and Gideon was doing his best and he finally got like he finally got a little wheat and he's in a wine press and he's processing that and an angel appears to him basically and said enough is enough mighty warrior and Gideon went who me? I'm the weakest person in my family and I'm from the smallest family His weakness was an opportunity for God to show His power. How about that? Isn't that cool? You know, the weak hesitate to claim glory. Samuel. How about Samuel? 1 Samuel chapter 2 and 3. Dedication and dwelling in the presence of God was opportunity for God to find someone trustworthy enough to entrust himself to. 
Ooh, and there's a bunch of stuff there. Pastor Quentin, thank you. I've given you a whole year's worth of sermons already. How about Elijah? There's a story where this widow, her son dies. And Elijah's there. Oh, man, that's a rough thing. That's a rough problem, isn't it? I mean, think about it. Some of you might have experienced this very problem, having a son or daughter die. But in this case, do you know what that son dying created? An opportunity for God to raise the dead and to reveal His glory. It's kind of all in how you look at it, isn't it? How about, how about, let's see if there's some more in the Bible. You know, we so often focus on the bad without seeing the opportunity for God's glory. Why? Because we're built that way. In, in the scripture where it says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, it says, learn from me. And this is a process, and the Lord understands that, right? See, we talked about that yesterday, didn't we? <laughs> yes. You have an opportunity for God to testify about you. Do you know that? In Acts 13, God testifies about a king, and his name was David. Acts 13, verses like 20 through 20 through 22. And at God says, I found a man after my own heart. Do you know what? You know what that means? That means God was looking. God's out there looking. And, you know, I was raised, it's not polite to talk about people. But God's talking about somebody right here. Right? And David's life is a testimony to us. See that? The fact that God is looking is our opportunity to be found. How about this? The fact that He's looking, Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He is looking. He is looking. So you know what? You, you are so extraordinarily valuable and special that you can be the fulfillment of God's opportunity. Isn't that amazing? You are God's opportunity to find someone who loves Him. Not only is every circumstance an opportunity, you are an opportunity. And our choice, learning how to take captive thoughts, determines... Which testimony by God we will have? David had a good testimony. And you know what? If, you know, if you've ever read David's life, he had some rough stuff. He had some rough edges. He did some bad things. That's recorded. But everywhere after David died, God talks about him. He never mentions any of those things. He only talks about how special David was to him. Isn't that amazing? That, that might change our thinking a little bit about how God is. 
because we want to take the stick of, of righteous condemnation out every time we see something that's off in someone and just beat them with it and think that we're pleasing God. But, God, but here's the thing. We are God's opportunity to be found. He's looking. God is recording and making a testimony of our life. The way we think, the way we learn to think, what we learn from Jesus, how we learn to take captive these thoughts determines what He has to say about us. For my part, I want to be somebody like David. David wasn't perfect. He did some bad things. He committed adultery. He, he, he committed murder because of that adultery. He did other things that were bad. He, he did something that made a plague come on the people that he ruled. That's like not the definition of good leadership. Right? He, he didn't flawlessly execute his office. But he had something going with God where he is one of the most distinctive individuals about which God testifies. God testifying about a man that was other than his son. There were there are not very many people in the Bible that God did that with. He did it about Moses. Probably, I don't know this is true. I need to look into it. Y'all Bible scholars, you can help me. But probably David and Moses are probably the most mentioned two after they're gone, where God says something about them because they were so special to him. I want to be. You know why? Because I'm an opportunity for that. My life is an opportunity for that. About this, John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. You know what? Jesus is our opportunity to know God. You know the story of the woman with the issue of blood? And I'm going to close with this. Luke chapter 8. Let's read that real quick. I got to land the plane. Luke chapter 8. Have y'all noticed that there's really long chapters in Luke? Verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. And then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only a daughter, a girl of about twelve, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, everybody say, as Jesus was on his way. Where was he going? To Jairus' house. I've been over there and they found what they think is the the foundation to Jairus' house. It's not a very big village, small. As Jesus was on his way to Jairus' house, crowds almost crushed him and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? 
Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out for me. Then the woman comes forward and she says, It was me. She was healed. Okay, so this is, this is an even better adjustment for our attitude. Whose house was Jesus going to? Did he even know that woman was there? According to what's written, erase all your theology about the sovereignty of God. What the book says is he didn't know she was there. He was not going to her house. He was not even thinking about her. You know why she got healed? Because she was thinking about him. She recognized that opportunity, although was not coming to her house, was walking by her house. And we have this attitude where we're like, well, Jesus hadn't come to my house yet. I think he's not paying attention to me. I think he doesn't even know I'm here. Make him know you're there. He doesn't even have to think about fixing your problem if you will fight your way to him. Power will just come out and touch you if you have that attitude. Is it, I mean, that's what I get out of this story. One of the many things. When you have opportunity walking by, you need to get up and fight your way to the opportunity instead of going... Woe is me, I'm stuck in the problem. Jesus, God, how could you allow this to happen? Like, I don't know, I'm stuck. God doesn't like me. Nobody likes me, everybody hates me. I think I'll go eat worms. You know that song? How about let's change the way we think and get some resiliency and fight our way to Jesus if he's not coming to our house and that's our perception. Who cares? about what our perception about Him is. We need to fight our way to Him. We need to fight our way to Him. There's nothing that can happen that can overpower His ability to work good in our life. He doesn't author the bad. We're not giving thanks for those things. We have gratitude in the middle of why? So that we don't get offended and we don't get bitter thereby building a wall between us and God and others. He really is into this. So I want to pray for you. Lord, you say in John 15 that without you, we can do nothing. And, and boy, when we start talking about this in Philippians, it says to do everything without grumbling and complaining. And, and this is a command that you've given us. And, and this is all about attitude how can we do that, Lord? Help us. We are like all terrible failures at obeying the scripture. Do everything, do everything without grumbling and complaining. Like you don't leave us any out there. And it's because that you, you know that gratitude assassinates grumbling and complaining. And all through your word, you tell us, give thanks with a grateful heart. 
that everything that we need to do, we, we need to do with gratitude. And gratitude to appropriate your power and the power of your spirit to help us be grateful for you in every circumstance. We confess to you, Jesus. I confess to you that's just really hard. But the fact that it's hard, the fact that it's hard doesn't mean that I don't go after that. And if we've tried and we've tried and we've tried and we've suffered for 12 years bleeding with the weakness of grumbling and complaining, And we might have begged you to come to our house and we think that you haven't heard. We think that you're ignoring us because we don't have the power. Because we still bleed with the weakness. The debilitating thing and we've spent all that we have. Trying to get free of our wrong thinking. Help us, God, grow a backbone of courage because you are here. And let us change our thinking that instead of sitting in our weak condition saying, come to me, Jesus, that we change our mind and we say, we come to you. We fight our way to you through the press and the crowd and all the layers of all the issues that are between my our house and you as you walk by going somewhere else. Not really maybe realizing that somebody's somebody else's really bad problem has put you in proximity to us. You were going to Jairus' house to fix a problem that was really bad for him. Jairus's little girl died and that set up the opportunity for that woman to fight her way to you Lord help us change the way we think Jesus fill us with your grace and your power to put this in practice in our lives I pray that you release the grace on every single person Because every one of us need this. Starting with myself. Release your grace. I bow my knees to you God. I humble myself to you. And tell you that I need this. Because humility attracts your grace. Which is your power. For putting into practice. And becoming who you. Want me to be. I'm first God. Do the miracle, Father, in Jesus' name. Change our attitudes and our thinking. So I want to ask uh, Brother Britt to actually share something uh, with us for a moment. So if you can, just kind of keep standing. We won't drag this out. Um, but, but if you can briefly speak to, and there, there's a, a purpose in this why I want you to do it, speak to the difference between the who and the what. Um, you know when Jesus died on the cross he said it is finished 
And it says in, in John that he's given us the power to become the sons and daughters of God. Right? Isn't that what it says? So when we get born again, see this little one right here? Look, like she can't drive a car. She can't cook dinner. She can't do any of that stuff. But whose daughter is she? Who's 100% whose daughter is she? PQ and Jens. Right? When we become born again, we become instantly, completely, 100% holy. A child of God. Right? There's a bunch of what's that she can't do yet. Right? And when Jesus said it is finished, He settled our identity. Who is she? She's a self. Her dad is PQ. Her mom is Jen. She's got siblings. Her identity is not in question. Her value and her worth comes from our, her identity, not her occupation. And so, your value comes from the fact that you are 100% a child of God. That's where your identity comes from. Who gave you that identity? Jesus opened the door and He finished that, that opportunity and you said yes to Him. And you got born again, I hope. If you're not, we can fix that. When you become born again, your identity is settled. That's instantly done in one moment what is not instant is your what your attitudes what you think how you treat each other like we've been talking about that this morning right God cares about both but listen to me everybody listen to me when when we are insecure in who we are we don't we are not empowered for God to change what we are and the devil's a master at twisting up the difference. And he makes us think that our identity is determined by our who. God's interested in, I mean, that our identity is determined by our what. God's interested in what we are. That's where all the change and growth and learning and repentance and transformation happens. He's into that. I'm not saying he's not into that. He is all about that. He's got to work. We got all kinds of issues in our what? We don't have any issues in our who. The devil's a master at making you think the quality of your who is determined by the flawlessness of your what. And we need to, we need to, we need to break that in our thinking. Because that's not true. I'm not saying that he's okay with our stinking thinking, our bad attitudes, our sin habits, and all the things that we know. You know, we know most of the stuff about ourselves, And we need to submit to God, and those things are not okay to stay there. But who we are and what we are are distinctly different. And they, they each have a place and they each have a role, and we need to let God work in both of those things. The value of something is determined by the price paid for it. And the price that was paid for you and I. There's no way to measure the blood of the Son of God. We are valuable to Him. 
before we ever said yes. Here's why I asked him to share that. It's because obviously, once again, the whole message of today is we have opportunities. Notice what he said at the very beginning, that we are on the brink. Now, for you guys that maybe are new uh, or maybe... You know, whatever. Maybe, maybe you're like, okay, that's cool. What does that mean? Um, I, I want you to understand that I get uh, on the regular uh, text messages from people across the country who say, uh, "I've been praying for you." In fact, I got one of these two days ago from a man who lives in Virginia, saying, "Look, basically, when I pray for your church, uh, I keep seeing basically walls being expanded." So, so that like continues to happen, and all that means is it's an opportunity. Right for God to do something greater through this ministry. But guess what? That hinges on our ability to be secure in who we are in Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to uh, operate from the insecurities inside of me instead of that who that's already been settled at the cross. Right? And so uh, all I want to do quickly, I know Brother Rip prayed, uh, but but I just want to pray for us one more time, and I'll make it quick. And uh, and then I'll say a few things, and uh, and we'll be free to go, okay? So, Jesus, I just simply ask, God, for every single one of us, uh, God, that call the Anchor Church home today. Father, we ask today, God, in faith that you would break small thinking off of us. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that the lies of the enemy that we've come in agreement with about ourselves that don't line up with the word of God. Father, we do exactly what it said. Well, even what Brother Britt read earlier, God, we cast down those vain imaginations. God, we cast down those thoughts, God, that do not line up with your word. And so, Father, we simply ask today, God, that a revelation, God, as the seed has been planted today, we ask that the revelation of who we are in you would begin to grow. God, that we are sons and daughters of the living God, that you have not called us to live as people who are just sitting underneath the table waiting for crumbs to fall off but God you've given us through Jesus a seat at the table and so Lord would you help us to see ourselves the way you see us God would you help us God so Lord break off all the lies uh, literally break off all the unbelief break off the things that we've come in agreement with and we choose today to come in agreement with your word and who you say we are in Jesus name amen thank you for joining us today Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.